0: This episode is made possible by our generous patrons Welcome to the Ink to Film podcast where we read the book And then see the movie I'm mayonnaise on hamburgers And I'm walking through an unexpected spiderweb And this week we discuss the last half of Neil Gaiman and Terry Pratchett's 1990 novel Good Omens directly through spider webs is that what it was uh, yes. yeah that'd be pretty awful
1: <laughs> i didn't know you didn't like mayonnaise on hamburgers
0: <laughs> i hate it it's, and i hate when fast food restaurants just do it automatically without even asking you Not so much as yeah. asking you if that's what you want is it just mayonnaise on hamburgers or mayonnaise in general i'm not a big fan of mayonnaise in general it's okay on some things but to me hamburgers ketchup and mustard like what are you doing putting mayonnaise on there what about a nice fancy aioli oh aly's a whole different conversation that's fine <laughs> oh man those those four other horsemen might have been the funniest part of the whole book to me i, I, was I absolutely out. was dying yeah. during that part so funny
1: uh i guess to explain it if you haven't read the book and you're listening to this oh, those yeah. those names that we that we said at the top of the episode those are our horsemen names so if we were two yeah. of the four horsemen of the apocalypse
0: or or like or the other horsemen of the apocalypse that are just following the others down the road (laughs) which is what happened here so in the in the book yeah there are four regular bikers who follow the four horsemen and they name themselves they they're like having this conversation where they're coming up with names for what additional horsemen of the apocalypse they are and there's some amazing names there's like one that's like cool people um because he's like just the cool people you see on television i hate them (laughs) um what was some of the other ones uh grievous body bodily harm was one and then there was things that don't work after you give them a good thumping yeah um I mean, there was there were so many good ones because they also kept changing them oh there was um like embarrassing personal story or something like that yeah like
1: yeah like i don't know so many good ones it's just funny to think that, like, yeah, let's add some additional horsemen and and have them have these like ridiculous names. Like, it's so oh, answering machines
0: or whatever they call them in in in, in Britain, but like they're like they, the answer answering phones or something. I think was what that was what it was, but it was answering mm-hmm. machines as we know them. <laughs> uh, was just like <laughs> that was the apoc- for- horseman of the apocalypse name. <laughs> it was just answering machines. It's so good. <laughs> I thought about doing insurance companies, but that that maybe was too real.
1: <laughs> Ooh, <yeah>. Insurance <laughs> was like, okay. That was yeah. not very funny. it's <laughs> <Yeah. just> true. <laughs> My thing is like walking through an unexpected spider web. It's like you walk mm-hmm. out of your house and you hit a spider web right in your face. Not a good day.
0: No, that's really good. <laughs> I love that one. Uh,
1: yeah, so we're back with the second half of Good Omens, if it isn't readily
0: apparent. Um, and uh, yeah, we're, I'm having a lot of fun with this book, man. I mean,
1: it was great. It was a good book. I really enjoyed it. I don't, I don't know about you. How, how did you? How did you like it? I think it basically held its own for, for the comments that I made in the last episode. It really kept me entertained all the way through, and, and it was bringing some really funny, interesting angles to material that I feel like I'm steeped in to an extent, you know?
0: Right, yeah. It continued to draw a lot of comparisons to me to like other stuff I've seen that has come after um, that's probably maybe inspired by this book, um, because apparently this is like a really landmark novel. Um, and every time I mention it to someone, they're like, is this your first time reading
1: it? Like, incredulous. And I'm like, yeah. <laughs> like, I did It was it was like admitting I'd never read Romeo and Juliet or something. Nobody had really recommended it to me or anything. So, yeah, for, yeah, for me, it was just coming into it completely no expectations. And, and it's so much fun. It's, and I think I saw something about Neil Gaiman himself comparing it to Hitchhiker's Guide and saying, like, he wanted to try to write in the same vein as a Hitchhiker's Guide-esque mm. story. And I was, I felt that within the first page, I was like, "Oh my god, this is." I I felt like I felt the lifeblood of that kind of like British comedy. Yeah. At
0: the end, there's some uh, in my copy. There was some uh, like interview style stuff with both Neil Gaiman and Terry Pratchett. And then they had a section where it was like Neil Gaiman talking about Terry Pratchett, and then Terry Pratchett yeah. talking about Neil Gaiman. Did yours have that part? Yeah, yeah, I did. Yeah, there was a part where I think Neil Gaiman was saying that. Terry, uh, Terry Pratchett had always been compared to Douglas Adams, but that he he didn't feel like that was a fair comparison. But basically because Terry Pratchett was way more prolific than Douglas Adams, who I, I guess didn't write very many novels. I'm not like super steeped in it. Um, but yeah, I mean that that Hitchhiker's Guide comparison. I mean that's what you know the 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 critics were comparing it to and, and using it as a blurb and saying, oh, this is just like Hitchhiker's Guide, but with you know with the apocalypse and stuff like that. You know, so I think you're right on with what the reaction was.
1: Yeah, on my copy, interestingly enough, there's a Clive Barker quote. Is there one on yours as well? Yeah, there is on mine yeah.
0: too, which which is definitely funny. I think I posted something about ins- on Instagram about this. I was kind of surprised to see Clive Barker on this novel.
1: Yeah, I just thought it was an interesting overlap uh, because we covered Rawhead Rex, which is a very different story. You know, Cl- Clive Barker wrote Rawhead Rex and it's very different to uh, Good Omens here.
0: Yeah, I mean, Night and Day, that's like, one of the more dark, twisted monster stories you'll you'll find, in my opinion. And uh, cool, you know, getting a big name out there, uh, giving you a blurb is always good. So before we get into it further, uh, I just wanted to stop and tell you guys we have a giveaway that is still going, if you're listening to this, on either Thursday or Friday, the week it comes out. Uh, we will be announcing winners on Saturday morning, basically whenever I get up and do it. Um, so you have until then to enter and all you have to do is find the social media posts. Um, I, have been resharing it every so often on, on both Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Uh, go on there, follow the instructions in the posts themselves, and you can enter to win a copy of Good Omens, which is the, the, uh, TV tie-in edition, uh, cover. And, you know, if you've read this book already, you can enter, like, it doesn't have to go to somebody who's never read it before. If you just want another version or if you wanted to get it so that you can give it to somebody who you know would enjoy it um, please feel free to enter. We'd love to just have more people entering to,
1: into the contest and then we'll, we'll see who wins. Yeah. Yeah. I'm a little jealous. I want to, I want to, uh, enter into the competition as well. Cause my, I have a copy of it, but I don't have this copy. of Yeah. It. Well, my <laughs> wife was like, can I enter the
0: conversation competition? And I'm like, mm. <laughs> <laughs> um, cause I'm like, if you won, it'd probably look pretty bad. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, people, people want this book. So I, you know, and obviously we enjoyed it. So I definitely recommend it. Um, Oh, and also we have launched a YouTube channel. Uh, You have to search for Ink to Film uh, podcast on YouTube to find it because we can't get an official URL quite yet until we get a certain number of subscribers. But if you want to check it out, we just posted our uh, episodes on The Thing, which featured Mike Arnzen, who was our very first guest, uh, award-winning horror author. And yeah, we had a lot of fun talking to him, talking to him, and, and those episodes are definitely a fond memory of mine from I guess uh, two years ago about
1: yeah something like that. That was great great time having him on.
0: Yeah, so definitely check those out, especially if you're a fan of the thing, you know that movie the, the eighty two John Carpenter, uh, the thing. Uh, check those episodes out, and if you're while you're there, definitely hit us with a subscribe so that we can eventually change and get like an official URL so that we don't have to have people searching for it. That'd be awesome.
1: And let us know what you think of our of our funny images we keep posting as the, uh, <laughs> yeah. as the wallpaper.
0: Even if you've already heard the episode, we, we we're trying to get creative with the background images. So uh, we'd love to see a comment or something if you, if you like them. All right, man, uh, I think I'm ready to get into it. We're just going to go through. I have a really kind of awful summary that I'm going to use, <laughs> um, but it's because it just blows by tons of stuff. So I think we're just going to use it to set us to like set us up and then we can just try and fill in as much of the gaps as we can and just talk about things. Um, We'll probably jump all over the place, but that's kind of how the book is, too. It's a lot of jumping quickly between different groups, doing different things. Um, So it'll be a little crazy, but I think that's a decent way to cover this. (laughs) Yeah. All right. So let me hit you with this first bit here. Uh, The Four Horsemen of the Apocalypse Assemble. War, Death, Famine, and Pollution. The prophecies of Agnes Nutter, 17th century witch, are rapidly coming to pass. Agnes Nutter was the only truly accurate prophet to ever have lived. She was burned at the stake by a mob, however, because she had foreseen her fiery end. She had packed 80 pounds of gunpowder and 40 pounds of roofing nails into her petticoats, and everyone who participated in the burning was killed instantly. Okay, so that's two big things here. Let's, uh, Let's back up and talk about the Four Horsemen, because last we left them, I think we hadn't even really met pollution or death yet. And we meet them mm-hmm. here soon as uh, the messenger comes to to actually get them to to, to go to the to the meeting place. Uh, pollution is this kind of like greasy haired younger guy who was like polluting a river, I think, when the when the messenger comes upon him, right? Yeah.
1: I love the idea. I love this little messenger guy who keeps showing up to, to each of the horsemen too. Yeah, it's really just funny. hilarious to me. One of my favorite things, honestly, of the entire book is... You, you know you get people talking about the four horsemen and and then usually they'll they'll talk about pestilence or they'll talk about pollution and I mm-hmm. love that they were able to say there was a pestilence But he got like older and retired and then pollution took over yeah. And that's like kind of where the transition from pestilence to calling it pollution. I-, I just thought that was so clever
0: Yeah, and he retired be- with the invention of penicillin because he was like fucking penicillin is gonna is gonna make my job impossible But then uh, the new the new guy says something like well If he just stuck around he would have seen all of the new possibilities in the modern era um, right. But I thought that was pretty funny that he was just defeated by
1: penicillin, essentially, and, and decided to hang it up. <laughs> so good. The delivery person, like, after meeting Pollution decides, um, or I guess walks back up to, like, his delivery vehicle or whatever. And he, he like, yeah. reads the next person he's supposed to deliver to. So, so far, he's delivered to war, famine, and pollution, mm-hmm. leaving only one Horseman of the Apocalypse. And he on his clipboard, it says, like, the location of the next you know, delivery is everywhere. Mm-hmm. And so like, you're thinking like, okay, so death is everywhere. Death is the fourth horseman. Yeah. And then I wanted to see if you felt the same way that I did that him walking into the street was him like, cause he wrote a note to his wife and I felt like that was him saying like, goodbye, because in order to, to go meet death to, to finish his delivery, he needed to, j- to walk in front of traffic and get hit in mm-hmm. order to meet with death. Interesting. So I, I know what, I remember what part you're talking about.
0: And, and I guess I took that to be more that he assumed that in going to find death he was going to die but to me it wasn't a deliberate act because just because the way it was described was when he was going to find pollution uh he almost got hit by a car and then um he was like oh those buggers are like going way too fast or whatever and then he comes back to the same road crosses it again and then he goes like he's like I almost hit by one again and he's like oh my god that was really close but then he like looks down and he's like, laying in the ditch and I, the implication being that he actually did get hit. And then that's when death arrives. Um, so to me, I thought that was like more accidental. But I do see what you're saying. Like, it seemed like he was maybe even if, if it was accidental or not, he knew that like death was a potential outcome from this delivery. And then, yeah, what, what is your take on death? I, 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 you know, this this sort of skeletal figure who who speaks in all caps in the book and has a certain sound yeah. to his voice on the audio book. And yeah, what did you think of him?
1: I thought it was great. I really liked to death. I also liked that. He was like basically unemotional the entire yeah. time I guess he his, his one emotion would be like he was determined or he was like very serious uh, mm. but he I thought it was really effective. He was scary for sure
0: What immediately follows is we see the four horsemen gathering at a Hell's Angels bar Which I thought was a nice touch and this is mm-hmm. where we meet the other four uh bikers who who talk, get talked about later and as each as each of the horsemen are coming in there's somebody some mystery person playing trivia and uh every time the new horseman comes in there's like a new category added to the trivia game that none of the other bikers have ever seen before was this
1: a was this a video game
0: yeah it's like a trivia like a, one of those okay. you see them at truck stops it's like a like an arcade trivia game that, that right, you sometimes yeah. see i don't know if they can if you can play with multiple computers and there's also like modern versus what was available in nineteen ninety or eighty nine whenever they're writing this. Um I don't know. One of them is wearing like a black helmet and playing that that arcade game. Right and so then once all th- the other three have, have have gathered together at a table uh, they it, it's revealed that Death is the one who's been
1: playing trivia because he's been here all along. My favorite touch with the trivia game was that you know it was like normal categories like sports and uh, geography things like that and then as each of the horsemen arrived one of the categories would be popped off and, and the new category would be whatever horsemen just arrived so like war would be a new category and then they'd mm-hmm. ask a question about all the war and then all the bikers wouldn't know it but Death would and he would like answer the question and then you know like pollution would show up and pollution would be a category on the game next, and it would yeah. have knocked off another category. I thought that was super funny.
0: Yeah, and and famine uh, being there also created a situation where like all the food was gone or it had spoiled or something, and so they couldn't. Everybody was hungry, and and then the the bikers come up to confront them because they don't recognize them as being actual Hells Angels, and then they're like, "We're the real Hells Angels." Essentially, the main the lead the leader kind of thinks it's cool. And I guess because of that, they end up following them when they leave. And they're all riding on uh, motorcycles, we should say, instead of horsemen. They're on these motorbikes. And they set off to go to Tadfield as the four horsemen and with the four other horsemen trailing behind. Um, so let's pop over to... So the Agnes Nutter stuff, this this was told, I think, to uh, Newt by Anathema, who who have now met. I don't remember if they had met last time we talked about them. But he he crashes, he crashes his car, which is this wasabi it's this really just clunker of a car and uh he crashes that and then uh i think adam actually finds him rescue and adam and them rescue him bring him to anathema uh they talk to each other and she seems to already kind of know what's going to happen with their with their interaction because she's read the prophecies And then she fills him in on who Agnes Nutter was. And we find out more about her um, that she was burned at the stake and that during the process of her being burned at the stake, she knew it was going to happen. So she loaded up her like petticoats with dynamite, which I talked about in the summary and blows everybody up, which I thought was was pretty clever. So Um, and and I, I don't know if we should talk about it here or not, but Newt is definitely attracted to anathema. And then she seems to be like kind of going with it to him and he's kind of weirded out like well i can't believe she's kind of giving me the time of day and we get the imp- implication that maybe she's it's because she knows that they're supposed to get together and then um they do end up getting together and sleeping together it's kind of interesting because like the world's ending outside and like there's like huge storms going on and stuff and then they're just like well now we're just gonna have sex <laughs>
1: i don't know what did you think I of think that part the, the way that yeah the way that it was that chapter ended i felt i thought that they were dead for, for a second i had to like reread it because it seemed like the like the roof was collapsing or something and they like hugged each other and then, oh, and then yeah, like, yeah. The next time we next time we see them they're like lay, laying in bed. Yeah. And you're like, Oh, okay. So they didn't get collapsed on or something?
0: They were they were like protecting each other from the house shaking and they were scared and then it like faded to black with like the implication being of intimacy coming up. So about.
1: I wanted to talk about something with Agnes Nutter and the way that these prophecies work that's kind of described to uh Percival in this situation mm-hmm. is the and i love this because there are people who will say that you can read the bible certain ways and it's predicted like every major event have you ever heard anything like this Mm. like like you'll hear people talk about like scriptures and things like that and they'll say like oh if you look at this it's kind of just taking an event that happened and then putting your kind of like bending it and saying like this was predicting you know 9-11 or whatever whatever yeah no i I know what you're talking about yeah and, and that's kind of how they use uh, this prophecy book. They, she explained to Percival that like you can't look at it and predict the future. It's only after an event has happened that you can say like, oh, she did predict it correctly because she's like really bad at predicting things. Um, uh, Agnes Nutter was because she yeah. the way that she describes everything. She, you know, she's from a different age. So she's describing, you know, planes as as weird contraptions and and cars as like chariots weird chariots and things like that so
0: well it was also funny in like the the misinterpretations that happened from her family over time like it was always interesting to see how they would misread stuff and misattribute it to different things my
1: favorite one was they read something and they were like uh it's it's from like very far back like 1600 or something it's like it seems that agnes uh had had a little bit too much to drink this day and then like 150 years later another ancestor was like yes i agree i guess even agnes would was not above the sins of of man i just thought that was funny that they were like leaving little comments every couple hundred years on like yeah the, the prophecies it's like annotated and i wish there was a part i wish we had gotten
0: because after uh Anathema and and Newt sleep together. She mentions how the prophecy was in the book, and that in fact it had encouraging notes written in the margins from her like ancestors, who were like realized yeah. that that's what it was predicting. I wish we had actually gotten those because I thought that, that those might have been really funny to see.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: I'm I'm just gonna get into it because I know that it's left out of the next part of the summary. Uh, we get the aliens come down, and like this is a very Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy scene um yeah these it's this uh it's when actually it's when newt is on his way so yeah it's actually before before he even meets up with anathema he's on his way there and a ufo lands next to him in the road these aliens get out it's like a toad-like creature and a little robot and 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 they come up to him and talk to him
1: and their conversation is just amazingly good and so funny with a book like hitchhiker's guide or this like what's the most ridiculous outlandish like unpredictable thing that could happen right now and he's just driving down the road and then like in this angels and demons book yep. they introduce aliens and aliens come down and they say a bunch of stuff about how we're like totally screwing up the world and they're it was like
0: they were police uh like cosmic police who have shown up to almost to, like give them a give the earth a citation or something for like exceeding co2 right. levels and, and there's one thing i wrote here where it says uh this is actually at the end of their conversation the alien turns back around and says you do know you could find yourselves charged with being a dominant species while under the influence of impulse-driven consumerism, don't you? <laughs> it's just like what? Um, so and oh, I love the way he kept calling him sir. Was really funny. I, I don't know. I wish I had written down uh, honestly more of the quotes from that conversation because they were all so good. But yeah, it's basically like talking about how the world is is going to shit, and like clearly they are do, They're they're at fault for it, and they're not acting so. They're like in tr- they could be in trouble and he's like warning them
1: like like they knew that they could be in trouble for this. And I love that he's like, "What if he's like, oh yeah, I'll get right on that. I'll tell somebody." And then he thinks to himself, "Like, who the fuck am I supposed to tell this <laughs> yeah. information to? That'll believe me, and that will be able to like help the situation so that the aliens don't yeah. give us a citation."
0: So the world's just like going mad right now. By the way, there's like a Leviathan coming up. There's Atlantis has ridden risen. Uh, there's all kinds of just wild stuff going on all over the world, and this
1: crazy weather, and which was all Adam basically saying things that he wanted and like you know the rainforests were coming back and pushing through cities and things like that yeah sprouting out of the ground there's just like funny stuff here in my notes that i just wanted to mention so that i could talk about them with you but it's
0: kind of just like mentioning funny bits but whatever uh there was one part that i really liked where uh newt says that he doesn't have a face for haircuts and i identified with that so strongly <laughs> That was really funny like <laughs> he's talking about how like other people can get haircuts and it'll change how they look and they'll look <laughs> cool and different and for him, he's like, I. it's basically just shorter hair on my face and
1: it doesn't change anything. <laughs> uh, when he said the it's... thing about how like, you know, over the years I would, he would bring in like photos and try to give it to the barber. I was like, yeah, I've done that. And it just never <laughs> yeah. comes out. It never comes out how you want it to look. Yeah. And he's, like, and so he's like, that
0: was my mistake because the, me and the barber both knew no matter what they did, <laughs> I wasn't going to look like that photo. <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> yeah, very, very true. Oh, I also I love there's just, and I'm just going to call this one out. But this happens throughout the book. Whenever Adam and his friends are talking and they missay a word, it's always really funny to me. Um, one of them was talking about like going to Tibet to learn marital marital law when they meant martial law, <laughs> which mm-hmm. is it's like such a little kid thing to do. And it's so funny. Um, and there's just a lot of these moments throughout their conversations.
1: The other thing that I think happens here is you were right about the Leviathan because there there's like a scene from a from a ship. Mm -hmm. And they're going along trying to find whales and capture whales. And there's none left because basically adam had said like he didn't want any more whales to right wasn't that what it was like he didn't want any whales to be i hurt. think he didn't
0: want him to get killed so maybe maybe yeah. he got rid
1: of them or maybe just made them so they couldn't be found i don't, I don't know it was kind of unclear so they couldn't find any whales and they were like frustrated about it and then the depth started getting like ridiculously deep like deeper than anything that's ever been on earth before mm-hmm. and then uh they're like wow it's like the craziest it's the deepest i've ever seen it. and he's like that's not possible no place on earth is like that and then and then the depth they're like oh no sorry it must have been malfunctioned because the 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 depth is rising and mm-hmm. then we get like from the perspective of this Kraken, it's like it didn't have any eyes because there was no reason for it to see. And it slowly comes up. And it, it, it well, actually, not slowly, it quickly comes up. And the depth is just getting shallower and shallower and shallower under the boat. And then eventually it just I, I don't think we get like anything other than the fact that it says like it and then it attacked the, the ship.
0: Yeah, the ship was like a tiny metal like something over its head or something like it's supposed to be like it's supposed to be this giant ship, right? And it's just, it's just tiny compared to it. It was cool. Yeah, I mean, that's all that we really get from the Leviathan. And then we I think we hear like on the news talk of it of it attacking some ships or something. Um that's just part of this whole tapestry of the world just going to shit. I do want to check in on um Aziraphale and Crowley um because I know that the be- once again the next part of summary blows right past this. Um but both of those two characters have have some interesting bits going on. Uh, Aziraphale uh, decides he's going to talk to the other to like heaven and report to them what's going on because he's like, uh, you know, I better we bet I better do it so that we can try and win this thing because apparently it's going to happen. And so he sets up uh, uh, like a summoning circle or something to talk to them, and then he also lights some incense just because it smells nice, which I thought was a funny addition. <laughs> yeah, it's <was> really funny. <laughs> and then uh, he talks to the Metatron. Um, which uh, is the voice of God, but it's it's said to be the voice of God in the way that like a spokesman for the president is the voice of the president. He's not really the voice of God. He's just a spokesman for God. Um, right And uh, so he talks to him for a little bit and
1: uh, gets interrupted I think he gets interrupted as Shadwell arrives. Um, it's actually like he finishes his conversation, I think. Aziraphale was trying to say like we don't it doesn't have to go through this way we can stop it that tr- we know where the child is we know what he's doing we can we can stop the war and Metatron was like why would we want to do that it's time for the right. good to triumph over the evil and the war has to go on
0: yeah the 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 point isn't to
1: avert the war it's to win the war yeah and then they basically they're like but you're gonna get a commendation and you're great you've done a great job and so mm-hmm. so come back immediately And he's like, well, I have some other things to tie up. And and so I'll be there eventually. And the guy and Metatron's like, all right, whatever. Show up eventually. And then Shadwell walks in like at the end of the conversation. And Shadwell's realized that
0: uh, he might have some info, I think, and that he might have some money. I think he might be able to, ro- I think he was going there to like rob him or something, right? Because he's like, he, he was thinking of like two different people he knew who he could potentially get money from and one of them he didn't want to mess with and the other one he thought he maybe could. And I think it's, it's yeah. him. I think,
1: yeah. I don't know if he's trying to rob him or just get money from him. Get money from him In somehow. Like a, yeah, yeah, some way. But yeah. when he shows
0: up, he overhears him like the end of this conversation. So he's convinced that Zerophel is a witch and he tries to like cast him out and he comes at him, and then Aziraphale want, doesn't want him to step into the circle, because he's like, oh, that's very bad for humans, don't step into the circle. And then, I guess Aziraphale accidentally steps into the circle, and uh, says, oh, fuck, or something. It's like the first time he's, or the second time he's cursed in 6,000 years. Uh, and then we see Aziraphale just gets, like, zapped away, and then uh, Shadwell thinks he has this power in his hand, and he thinks he has this, like, witch-killing hand, or demon-killing hand. You want to fill us in on, on what happens with Crowley? At the, around the same time? Oh, yeah, because
1: Aziraphale tries to call Crowley.
0: I forgot that that links those two scenes he tries to
1: call him and then when he's talking to him that's when shadwell comes in and he has to he has to stop talking to him it, it's like right around the same time so that we know kind of what's what's going on for the two characters uh and it's funny because zero is like trying to fill him in on stuff and he's just like not able to talk at all he just says like all right yeah sure and like they hang up really because it sounds like something's going on on his end but we don't know what it is and then later we find out so crowley he goes back to his apartment, and then he gets a call. Or like, I think over the TV, the the demons come over the TV and say, yeah. "Like, we know that you have been hiding the real child, and and that this this uh warlock kid isn't the isn't the real Antichrist." Mm-hmm. So they're like, "We're coming to get you," and he's like, "No, don't do that." And they they come after him.
0: It's L- ligger and and what's the the one's name? Uh, Haster. Haster, yeah. Come and they 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 arrive in this like fake
1: car, like it's
0: like a car like thing
1: um arriving that would convince like humans if they saw it but not yeah. like it's very clearly like floating off the ground and everything and then he we see him get into
0: his uh, remember he has like the sketch of the mona lisa on the wall and there's like a wall safe and he opens it up and he inside there's he has to get these gloves and pick up like a, like a barrel or not a barrel
1: some sort of container flask, a
0: flask. yeah that's right yeah.
1: yeah it's really funny and did you i figured out what it was like immediately when he was like handling it with care
0: i actually kind of thought it was going to be something else and not that because i i was hoping because i don't know once again, so many other things have done this since then. Um, right. But maybe that was more fresh at the time. Um, but I was kind of hoping it was something more extreme than than just holy water. Yeah,
1: it was a holy hand grenade. He, <laughs> it,
0: it, I thought it was going to be like the blood of Christ or something that he had stolen in the 14th century or something. You know, I thought it was going to be something like super holy, but it's just holy water. Um, right. Yeah,
1: yeah, but he can't. He's handling it uh, with gloves and everything because it, he can't touch it either because he's a demon. And so yeah. basically, it's really funny because he sets it up like a prank. He puts it in like a bucket and puts the bucket on the top of the door so that when they walk through the door, the bucket will tip over on top of the demons who are coming to get him. Yeah, uh, and it kills one of them like violently. Like yeah. they shrivel up and go inside themselves and just melt basically. Mm-hmm. And then the other one doesn't get affected at all because it didn't get splashed. And then he was like, "Oh shit! All right, time for plan B." Yeah, and he has
0: a, he has a, like a spray bottle that he's threatening with, which by the way he has a spray bottle because he has plants and he has plants that he like terrifies by yelling at them all the time or something and, and apparently they they grow really well because he scares them all into into growing well, well.
1: It's, it's pretty fucked up because every once in a while he'll go around and he finds the one of the plants that's like doing really well or isn't doing well and he takes it out and he takes it around and says like you see what's what this guy's doing he's gonna die for no reason basically and then he, he takes it away and like throws the plant away and brings the the pot back and puts the pot somewhere where the other plants can see it yeah and it, the the book says they're the most beautiful plants in in wherever he is london or somewhere like that uh but they're also the most terrified
0: yeah and this is endearing to me like this is this is the kind of stuff that makes me like crowley because this is like very low stakes sorts of evil that we see him
1: uh you know partaking in yeah so he's threatening with the spray bottle which supposedly has holy water in it as well and uh hester realizes there's a drop coming from the bottle that's like slowly making its way towards crowley's hand And then it rolls over Crowley's hand and he's not affected by it. So he knows that he's bullshitting and he's like basically faking the fact that there's holy water in there. And then really weirdly, he like picks up the phone and and talks to, uh, that's when Aziraphale calls and he talks to him for a second and he's like, hey, yeah, yeah, yeah. He's like thinking about something else. And then they hang up and then he picks it back up and then he like jumps into the phone line.
0: Yeah. So he convinced, he convinces Haster that, that he's going to call the like old like the high council or something he, tra- he he doesn't really convince them but he lies and says this thing just enough to where he can grab the phone and then yeah he leaps into the into like the electricity itself
1: uh and he then, said that demons choose the form that they that they are so they can be incorporeal like he, they can become you know basically electrons. like matter or something <laughs> yeah, electrons and travel through the lines but it's funny because Hester jumps in right after him, and it's said that he's like two inches away from him in the in the, in the telephone wire, but he can't catch up to him. But as soon as he pops out of the, the phone on the other end, Hester is going to be two feet behind him. So it's not going to be that big of a difference once they finally pop out. So he has to kind of like juke him and and like act like he's going to get off and turn, change directions and then shoot off. And when he does, he what he does is he's listening for how many rings go through on one of the lines. And on the last possible ring, he shoots out and then the phone stops ringing, right?
0: Yeah, because he, he, it's the answering machine. He gets past the answering machine, and, and then the, the when, when Haster arrives, um, he gets trapped in the answering machine, and that's, like, the prison that he's stuck in for, for a time, at least. Uh, so, yeah, that's what's been going on with those two. As the world descends into chaos, Adam attempts to split up the world between his gang, and after realizing that by embracing absolute power, he will not be able to continue to grow up as a child in Lower Tadfield, Adam decides to try and stop the apocalypse. So there's a whole thing where, where Adam sort of has this moment of like being sort of power obsessed. And he starts talking about how he's going to fix everything. He's going to set the world right. He's going to he's going to wipe it clean and start over. He's going to give each one of his friends, like, a whole part of the world. He's going to give one of them all of Africa, another one, like, all of Russia, and one all of America. And then they start, like, talking amongst themselves about, like, oh, it's not fair. They get this. I want this part. And they start divvying up. Um, but they're also kind of, like, scared by it. But then they're like, well, we're going to take it seriously. Because
1: they also can't tell if this is a game or not at this point. After the territory is like divvied up, I think that he goes a little further and he's saying like, they're like asking him what he, what he wants and what, what's going to happen and all that kind of stuff. And he starts saying, that's when he starts saying like, I'll, I'll change everything. I'll do everything I want. And you won't ever have to go to bed because your parents won't be there to make you
0: and... It sounds like he's going to get rid of all the people, which was not what they want (laughs) or make them fight
1: or or create people to just to serve them and all this stuff. Yeah. So the, the them get scared by this and they like attempt to run. They're about to run away and he uses his powers and he's like, halt, stop there. Yeah. And they're frozen in their tracks. So like we're seeing his power. He's like able to control living, breathing, thinking people. And they they get stopped in their tracks. And I think this is part of what, like, that. this, in addition to the fact that he's not going to be able to live out his days as a normal kid, are kind of what turn him around.
0: Yeah. So he's also kind of getting whispered to by, like, a voice in his head. And it's unclear whether or not it's Satan himself or it's just, like, the part of himself that wants to do all this stuff. Um, But, yeah, he's able to overcome it. And he sort of casts it out with this, like, scream that gets echoes throughout all the universe. And then... uh, after he casts it out, that's when he decides like, OK, we're going to go to the we're going to go to this thing and we're going to you know, he knows that the horsemen are coming because he knows some of this stuff, like, I guess, from the voice. And instead of um seeing to the apocalypse, like, he wants to avert it now. Uh, all right. So next up, Anathema, Newton, Sergeant Shadwell, Madame Tracy and Adam and his gang. Uh, Ziraphale and Crowley all gather at the military base near lower Tadfield to stop the Horsemen from causing a nuclear war and ending the world. Okay. So again, we've, even with all the stuff we've talked about, we just jumped over a lot because, uh, we got to talk about what happens to Ziraphale, right? Like he, he, when he gets zapped in, in this transportation, whatever it is, circle, he starts popping around into different people around the, around the world. It seems like they're psychics or like mystics of some kind and he inhabits their body for a moment and like has a conversation with them and then he finds out each time um, that he's not where he needs to be which is in England. Um at first he goes to someone named Two Bones I think in, in Africa. Yeah, Johnny um, Two Bones. And then and then the one that I thought was really funny was he goes into this American ev- ev- uh, evangelist or televangelist, televangelist, yeah, who is doing he's in the middle of recording like one of his specials i think the the song they're talking about is like jesus is the switchboard operator of my life or something and then they start talking about all the other songs that are on this collection um, of like of these like christian songs that have made them popular and the one that i like the one that i absolutely loved was jesus is the sticker on the bumper of my soul (laughs) so funny
1: it's so good (laughs) <laughs> well, uh, this whole all of this is gold. All of the televangelist stuff is so funny to me because like yeah. there's so much corruption that can go on with these televangelists, and yeah. like he, they're really they're really touching on it here. And it was funny too because like, he
0: even says like though he's a true believer, it's still like he's just he's he's given up like having people come in for real miracles because that was too tricky.
1: They're having to pay actors. And yeah. so now he doesn't have to pay actors anymore. He's just calling out and saying like, so-and-so called in and this is how I help them and they're better now.
0: And then the number is like 1-800-give-me-cash or something. Like It's like it's like the number is like so obviously um, that he's giving out for this. And um, oh, another really good one I wrote down. Um, what the, this one's also interesting. Um, so it's when I'm swept up by the rapture, take the wheel of my pickup. And, um, that just, <laughs> um, it made me think
1: of Jesus take the wheel, right? That's like a real song that came out much later. Was like, did he, pre- did he predict it? I think so. But they even said that it was like a lot of the songs were kind of like ripoffs on like similar country music songs. Right. I guess That's true. Maybe the Jesus take the wheel is like a remake of an older song. I don't know. Oh, I don't know about that. I'm just, it's just funny to think that like that kind of, it kind of lines up that like that kind of thing could happen. Jesus is the sticker on the bumper of my soul
0: is is a brilliant name for a song i love it <laughs> oh my god the
1: the the shake the wheel of my pickup really got me
0: <laughs> <laughs> um so after that he does end up he leaves because he realizes that guy's in an america and he's like oh, I, I gotta go and so he he ends up popping into uh, madame, madame tracy's body um and it's like during a seance that she's having like a fa- like uh, you know like she has these like i guess fake seances where she t- communes to the other side and talks about other people's uh, lost loved ones and then he actually comes in and starts talking to everybody and then uh another really funny thing happens where one of the people demands to speak to her son who she's been wanting who had been paying to talk to and he's like oh actually the guy is here i'll let him on and he lets him come on and talk and he basically tells her to shut up which is something he never told her in real life and then she's all offended and then he comes back and he's like well it wasn't that touching or something it's just really funny <laughs>
1: I lo- yeah, it was like something about how uh she she was like there's like a line that she would always say to him to get him to shut up and she could like control him and it was like oh your heart condition and he's mm, like she says it to heart. him she's like oh don't don't get too riled up your heart and he's like I don't have a heart anymore mm-hmm. so yeah. Good
0: stuff. Um so anyway, then then he starts actually having a conversation with uh Tracy um about what's happening cuz she's like she um she she kind of understands some of this stuff or believes it I guess. And then Chadwell walks in. Uh, thinks that she's being possessed by a demon and they have this whole thing where uh, Aziraphale ends up telling them what's actually going on and they set off for the uh, base together which is what the summary has already gotten to (laughs) Um, Crowley uh, goes to the bookstore to find Aziraphale it ends up being on fire when he arrives and he has to walk in through the flames he rescues the prophecies uses that to determine he needs to go to the to the uh military base he heads off for the military base himself and now like all the characters are heading to the military base and we got to talk about that because that's also really interesting Crowley's basically driving his car at like 150 miles an hour and it's on fire
1: it's just like melting more and more and like it's like the longer he drives it and he loves that car like that's his like his favorite possession the only thing he cares about
0: and then uh he's holding it together just to, like sure willpower and then Aziraphale is on like a flying scooter with madame tracy and they like take off and then they and it basically compares it to like the star trek enterprise zipping off and he's like flying through the air at some crazy speed with shadwell on the back and they're wearing like a pink helmet and a green helmet
1: aziraphale is in, within madame tracy's body he's like yes. inhabiting her body so it's like the split personality thing going on and shadwell like freaking out about how it's the like, split personality and he realizes that aziraphale got through the portal and and it took over madame tracy yeah I do want to shoot back really quick because one thing that we forgot to talk about was with the televangelist, the funniest part about all that is that Aziraphale jumps into his body during a live broadcast Mm -hmm. and says a bunch of contradictory stuff to what he's been saying. Like he basically says like, this is, Aziraphale's an angel and he's basically saying like, this is a bunch of propaganda bullshit and like (laughs) goes on and on about it and talks about how like this is incorrect and this is, this is how this goes. And and then he like looks around and realizes that he's on, there's like cameras and everything and he's like, oh shit, am I on live TV? Mm Mm-hmm. I hope we get this scene in the in the tv series i think so, yeah. i think we will yeah I, I honestly don't know how much we'll get pulled i i think we're gonna see a pretty faithful adaptation we should we'll talk about it at the end
0: i think that's a good a good way to end this because neither of us have seen any of the show yet obviously um i've seen a trailer
1: have you and did you end up watching a trailer yet yeah i watched a trailer now after okay I finished the book. so we can
0: talk about some maybe some of the stuff we saw in the trailer uh we can do that yeah. at the end
1: so yeah aziraphale is with madame tracy and shadwell and the, they're on like the scooter that's like c- covered in like a nimbus cloud or something right yeah like, flying along at like I mean, it's 40 like a blue an nimbus hour.
0: and then we get the red of the fiery cars what, the,
1: the onomatopoeia that they have here is the 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 sound of a scooter we keep reading is like pie 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 making hilarious. that
0: sound even though it's flying yeah that's funny yeah um and then the horsemen are also going along the road and they, they got the, this is where i think we actually get the conversation about what horsemen of the apocalypse would you be and then they all arrive at this um, blockade that's in front of this like some sort of barrier as well. Um, that's this. I think it's supposed to be like really, really hot and really, really cold at the same time. They're trying to do readings on. It. They can't figure it out. the The flaming car goes through, it just catches more on fire. The scooter goes goes past, no problem. And then the four horsemen come and they they like elevate and go over the cops too. But then the ones that are following them, I guess, just crash into them. Um, and, and, and I guess they all died for one of them. And he's yeah. like, oh, I realized why I wasn't in the, in revelations because apparently I, you know, I don't make it. Um, and then he, has, he says something really funny too. I just remembered he, he says, uh, they say, who are you? And he says, I'm, I'm a man covered in fish or something like laying on a pile of fish or something because all the fish have been raining from the sky.
1: So he changes his name one last time. I thought, I thought, I just thought of another one that I love was, uh, standing in dog shit. I think. was one of the i love that one too
0: (laughs) okay so the next bit is this guy named rp tyler and he is this busybody um neighborhood he's like on the committee and he's like a neighborhood watch guy and apparently whatever he does whenever anything goes wrong in his in his community he writes to the local paper like an op-ed about it and he has this really passive aggressive ways about getting on everybody else's shit and this guy who I have a feeling that this is the kind of guy that like everybody knows if you're in that part of England. like There's one of these in every town, I imagine. Um, that's the feeling I'm getting. And anyway, he encounters like every single group of characters who all stop and ask him for directions. Um, and each one of each one of the interactions is like really funny in its own right he's like intimidated by the four horsemen and then he he gives them the directions
1: and then um but it's like really long and extensive and like absolutely there's no way you could follow it and then they're all like "Uh, i don't think i got that and death is like i got it let's go (laughs) (laughs) he understood
0: it yeah um and then after afterwards i think it's adam and the them show up who he yells at them like hey you should be going home you got to go to bed this you're out too late and they're like oh no we're not whatever and they they leave and then he's like i'm gonna tell your parents and then um, the scooter flies up with, uh, you know, Madame Tracy, and starts speaking with a Zero Fell's voice. And he thinks like, "Oh, this is a ventriloquist," and the the, <laughs> the person on the back is clearly a dummy. I don't know why he thought it was a real person. I mean, he starts every time after he talks to them. He's like composing a letter in his head of like what he's going to write in about this this new this new nuisance he's seen. Um, and then after that, uh, Crowley comes up in his flaming car. And it's really funny because he's like, he wants to tell him that his car's on fire, but he's like, well, clearly it's really obvious, so I shouldn't tell him. Um, and then he gives him the directions, and Crowley drives off, and then he's like, these young people driving in their flaming cars. <laughs> and the, really
1: yeah, funny. the letter he's composing for the flaming cars, he try he's trying to find the words to to put down to to write to the newspaper, and he's just like, the car was on fire. The car was, and he just can't figure out what he wants to say.
0: <laughs> yeah, he's like, this is ridiculous. I don't know how I could possibly say this. Um, so anyway, there's this whole thing where the, where the four horsemen of the apocalypse have to like talk their way past a security guard. Um, they get inside and they start setting into motion the apocalypse and like, uh, uh, pollution actually gets into the system, the computer system. And he, he, he creates a, like a propagates a virus that's going to go out into like, the, all the world's computers War is like helping to turn everybody against each other, and and so like the war, basically the world is on the precipice of nuclear Armageddon, and that's going to be the thing that like kicks this all off.
1: I liked how War talked about the the apocalypse and what what they were expecting going into the apocalypse and all the time that they waited and and all it was really for was for all the four of them to jump on motorcycles and meet up at this air, this base and there's like no there's not as much like slashing people apart with her sword and killing that she wanted It's more like. Nuance than that like they're going to start a war and we're talking yeah (laughs) yeah she wanted action so
0: while this is all going on adam and the them have arrived and the the four horsemen all start to like sort of revert to i guess their more natural states and change and 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 becoming a little bit less human when they encounter adam and and the them and adam tells them because they're like oh you're here now we can finally have this this thing can can kick off and he's like, I, well, I don't want it to. I, in fact, I, I don't think we're going to have the apocalypse at all. And instead, we're, we're you know, we're not going to do that. I want you to undo everything you've done. And so then they are like, uh, well, that's not what's going to happen. And so they sort of challenge them. And then each of the 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 them has an item that they've built. Um, and it's out of like, like pieces of wood and string. And it's like a crown and a sword and a scales, which I think we've talked about that each of the horsemen got an item like that. And they use these items to capture the four horsemen, um, like throw at them at them or like they strike swords together. And each time it happens, it captures the horsemen into the item, um, and defeats all of them except for death who, which by the way, I should also say there's a cool part earlier where war is thinking about how, even though they're the four horsemen, like they're not really equal with death. He's kind of this other sort of figure who has different powers
1: and, isn't really equal to them. He, he, no matter what is always there, no matter what time period it is and like war can go away. Pollution yeah. can go away. Famine can go away at certain points, but death is always constant.
0: Well, and she said it was like, like he's like a tax collector or something. I was, I was like, he's ever yeah. present, um, which I thought was funny, you know? Um, and so, yeah, so they defeat all of them, but then, but then um, death unfurls his wings and he reveals that, I guess his name's Azrael, the angel of death. And, um, I wrote down the line here cause I thought it was really good. And this, I like, I would bet a lot of money. I don't know how much, but I would bet a lot of money that this was written by Neil Gaiman cause this is such a Neil Gaiman description. And I know he did a lot of the, I know that, um, he was credited with doing a lot of the stuff with the demons and, and like the devils and the, I know the maggots and stuff that gets talked about when Hazard, which we haven't even talked, touched on, but Hazard does get free and he like shows up in this, uh, telecom area and like kills a bunch of like, uh, uh telemarketers i guess and he shows up and it's like a giant pile of of uh maggots who all have tiny mouths and then like all this stuff yeah right
1: yeah like so this woman calls makes a call and then she's about to hang up and then like tiny maggots start pouring out it's and because more she and more calls start...
0: the answering machine and so it frees him that's right. what it is
1: And so uh, these maggots are pouring out and more and more like completely fill up the room and devour these people and then all form together to create uh, Hester. And then like they just leave like skeletons behind, which I mean, that was a pretty, pretty gruesome scene and, (laughs) you know, pretty cool to see that like the demons were that like. And apparently that's Neil Gaiman, because even Terry Pratchett said that like the maggots are all are all him. Yeah. So like comparing Hester to somebody like Crowley, you can you can see like the maybe more lighthearted demons versus this like really ruthless, disgusting so,
0: the description of, of, of Asriel here. Wings of night, wings that were shapes cut through the matter of creation into the darkness underneath, in which a few distant lights glimmered, lights that may have been stars, but may have been something entirely else. Um, just after reading uh, Ocean at the End of the Lane... Like that feels very gaming to me. Um, we get a little bit of that in Coraline too, uh, which we which we did cover. But it just it's very poetic, it's very beautiful, and it's also dark. And I feel like that that to me, when I think of Gaiman, I think of that 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 meeting of, of a beautiful poetic prose, uh, with with meeting like sort of like a goth like sort of emo vibe, um, mm-hmm. but 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 in a good way. I don't mean that in a bad way. I mean in a good way. Um, it's just very like emotional and 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 sort of like morose in a way, but, but also beautiful. So that yeah. to me feels very gaming anyway. So death unfurls these wings and then basically says like, all right, fine. You've, you know, if you don't want to do it, we won't do it, but I'm, will always be there and I'll be there waiting for the next time. And then he flies away.
1: So this, the when you were talking about the wings it reminded me of another line and I could, I could look it up here in a second, but it's basically he's describing a color that you can only see at the instant of death. Oh it's yeah, like the black. It's like the black. Do you remember what it was called? It's like black ultra something? black or something, U- like yeah. something like and, that. Yeah. And it's like this color that, like, it's like the instant that you die, you see, you see like these brilliant. Yeah. It's like, black it's like, oh
0: yeah, you could see it right now if you want. All you have to do is take a full run headfirst into a brick wall, and then the instant before you die, like you'll see the color or
1: whatever. Right. And that's, I thought that was an amazing description as well. Like that's yeah. just like what you're. I think that was again probably more like a game in. I don't know, man. That's funny enough, though, to where that could be Pratchett. It's hard to say. And then I I actually really liked at
0: the end, there was a really good um, exchange. They didn't say the line. They said uh, that both of them complimented the other on writing this brilliant line. But then but both of them were like, I didn't write that line. So, so then that, this um, it, it, that was funny, too. It was like they lost track of who even wrote it. Although uh, it is said that like Pratchett wrote the majority of it as far as like actually drafting it. It seems like he wrote the most of it. But it was like a lot of phone conversations where they would talk about what would happen with each other.
1: I heard something of about maybe maybe like 70 percent of like the work work was put in by Pratchett or something like that, which which brings me to something I wanted to mention because we well, talked about it a little they bit. Both, they both definitely
0: revised it so uh they, it gets Gaiman comes in, in and there. he's revising Pratchett's prose after he revises that line and changes some of it what is that is that line written by Pratchett or written by Gaiman and I think that's like I think that's why they say like it's impossible to say who wrote what yeah
1: and I think that it's not really worth trying to like piece it to get like the 70%. Although like we've done who's, it. <laughs> yeah. We've done it multiple times, but, but honestly it's like, it was written by both of them. Is it really yeah. worth digging into like who wrote what? And it's definitely a, a creation by both of them had a, had their eyes on every single word and decided if it should stay or not. Yeah. So it's, you know, clearly written by both of them. Um, and that's leading me to what I wanted to say, because we felt in the first episode, we maybe didn't talk enough about Terry Pratchett. We talked a lot about Gaiman in this coverage, yeah. but Pratchett is is completely integral to the story in every way. And we want to give him the utmost credit. And absolutely, he had a hand in a ma- like a masterful hand and like creating the story and making it what it was cause and making it as funny as it is.
0: I've never read like, another game and novel that's this funny. So I think that's clearly his his influence.
1: And that's that's I think that's fun to think about, because, you know, even if Neil Gaiman wrote this story on his own, you don't get this book. No, you know, it's it's so much different and it's so, so unique that I think that you can't be stressed enough that Terry Pratchett had as much of a role as Neil Gaiman. So the apocalypse is I'm not even going to use the summary at this point because I feel like I got it. I got it now. So the, (laughs) the
0: apocalypse has not has not actually finished yet um they're they're both kind of like thinking like oh maybe we've beaten them now but then crowley's like uh, it's not over yet and then sure enough uh the metatron and Be- uh beelzebub rises and and we get these two more characters now beelzebub who at first i was like wait is beelzebub the same thing as satan or is that something different apparently he's a prince of hell at least in this book and not satan himself
1: i think yeah i think um, sometimes he is satan but it's like, I think it's kind of just like God, Jesus type thing where it's like, yeah. they're one and the same within the religion, you know, like God is oh, okay. Jesus is the Holy Spirit, that kind of thing. Maybe like mm. Beelzebub is like part of Satan, but you know, they're, they're very clearly like the right hit like they're the next person in line yeah. to, to me, to it seems like he's supposed
0: power. to be set up as like the same kind of thing as Metatron is. Yes, you know, first mate <laughs> exactly um, yeah. and and so both they're both there and they're both talking about how like this thing's still happening. What are you talking about? And then Adam comes forward and says, no, it's not um, I, I you know, basically says, I want to just live my normal life. I want to experience life. It's not fair for you to judge all these people when you gave them freedom of choice anyway. And the, this is the kind of stuff that's going to happen. And yeah, he has like a, a, a cool moment of like, to me, this is this is very like humanism forward. And, and I love that because that's the way I feel, too. And he says, like, you know, what, what if we just live a little bit longer and we get we have a chance to live long enough to see why it matters that climate change is a problem and and like all this stuff. Right. Instead of focusing so much on the afterlife. And and what comes after and and I totally agree with that and I I love that bit
1: And I think that that's kind of getting it like a lot of the moral of this story is Is really built into that it's just like it's about being human and, and what being human means and we don't need to be so fascinated with With like what is beyond us or or I can I think it's kind of just like stopping to appreciate what we have and yeah, maybe not getting so caught up to the point that we're willing to fight wars over the fact yeah. that people disagree with what we think happens after when it's like clearly what's happening right now is just as important. And I think uh,
0: Crowley even, I think, points this out and he says, so we were going to raise him to either to try and compete, either we were going to raise him as a uh, an evil being or we were going to raise him as an angelic being of, uh, you know, being of heaven. And instead, because they both they raised the wrong child, um, what instead happened was he was raised as a human. And so this is his human forward. And, and so all of his Antichrist powers get put behind this idea of humanism and wanting to just let things play out. And, and uh, I think that's cool. That's like a cool message and, and, and a fun twist on what we would think from an Antichrist type character. Right. That he is yeah. actually the, the, the like power of humanity at this point and so he he tells them it's not going to happen and they and they have to just admit because like he's so powerful that apparently it's like if he's not on board it's not going to happen
1: well and they also are all like death and these guys everybody's making it seem like it's not the end and like it, yeah. well yeah for now the is over yeah. but like eventually it'll come back around and and like i feel like adam is kind of just being like well when it does i'll be here to stop it again
0: so the metatron leaves beelzebub leaves and uh disappointed that it's not going to happen and then uh the ground starts to shake and Crowley's like uh the adversary is coming like this is this is really going to happen and then Adam um he does some sort of like motion and well hold,
1: hold on, because i actually like the build up to this moment okay a lot of the characters have decided to leave a lot of the characters are like on their way out and this like yeah. volcanic eruption starts happening and like this earthquake and basically Crowley is like no we got there's this isn't over we gotta we gotta actually like it's gonna go down we have to fight and so Aziraphale picks up the sword war sword and he like ignites it and it's like a flaming sword that he hasn't wielded in forever and they're standing back to back basically saying like there's no way that we can possibly beat this guy but like we have to we have to fight right now and then that's kind of when a couple other characters turn and like come back and they're all gonna I think Shadwell comes back and he's gonna fight with them he's got like his crazy gun that can shoot yeah. anything and uh and so they're all standing down this like eternal baddie and then adam comes up as like the eruptions happening and everybody knows that it's satan like it's like known that the satan is coming out so satan
0: seems like he's gonna rise from the ground it's shaking and everything's how this stuff's happening but then adam does some sort of like waves his hand stops it from happening but right then his actual father mr young arrives um sort of drives up in a van. And it's essentially like, oh, you're out here past your bedtime. I don't know what you've been up to, but you better come home. I wanted to to ask you, like, do you think here that because that's his real father, right? And Satan is his satanic otherworldly father. And he stops that one from coming. And instead, his real father arrives. Is that something he orchestrated? Because we do get a scene earlier where um, I think it's that same uh, busybody character tells on him and tells his father that... um, you know what's going on and, and, and sends the father after him right so is it just a coincidence or is it a summoning
1: yeah so i definitely think it was orchestrated by adam um although i think that the busybody did go tell his father his his actual his you know young mr young his mr. father young, yeah. that he you know is out past his bedtime i think this is like we're seeing it before the actual action takes place but we've seen adam change reality multiple times and i think in this moment it's like a it's like him decide him choosing humanity so it's like his actual father satan is coming out of the ground and he changes reality in order to like still be reprimanded because it's like it's part of the human experience i think is to grow up as a Mm. kid and have your parents mad at you something like that like satan was coming because he was mad and he felt like it was like a time for him to be a kid and be reprimanded for whatever reason so i think that like maybe him changing reality here is also changing the reality like we're just seeing the reality changed previously because we've seen it before that like whenever he changes reality it, it gives this whole backstory and this whole lore and it makes everything make sense up to that point so like Atlantis had always been, it wasn't like it just popped up and it was there newly. It was like people had been there forever and the Atlantis yeah. had always been there before it rises up. Yeah. Cause he can literally change reality. Yeah, you're right. Actually. I, I like that. I'm um, whether or not, you
0: know, what does it mean that he was coming out ar- there already? I don't know, but um, I do like the idea of that, that has a nice sort of a uh, thematic neatness to it that I do, I do enjoy. So I'm with you there. Um, so after the, this is now the like true end, they've averted the apocalypse for now and uh crowley and aziraphale are left after everybody else leaves and they're sharing this bottle of wine together and talking about what happened and uh i think it's crowley is talking about how like so if he's got this ineffable plan he wouldn't have created like these agents of chaos um and then and then like b- battled against them like it and he says instead of a game of chess this has got to be a game of solitaire And I actually really like that. Like uh, he created these agents and he's just kind of letting it play out and seeing what happens. Um, But he actually is in control of it. So all of this and the two armies um, and, and everything that's been happening with the apocalypse is all perhaps part of his greater plan, if that's true, right? And they're both openly
1: wondering about it. That's what I was going to say is I don't think he, he's saying that that's his side of the story for sure. But I don't th- yeah. I don't think the book is actively saying like that is the version of what we're trying to say here.
0: So they also have a conversation in the next bit uh, at the duck pond um which yeah. kind of continues this and there's a character mm-hmm. who's like listening to this and then he like helps them out by saying like ineffable he, like i think like a can't find the word or something and then he says it and then he right. walks away and he's this mysterious figure
1: and like <laughs> it's a tall man feeding the ducks yeah yeah do you is this is this god i feel like it's i god. think so right i think yeah. it is it's got to be i mean if it's not i, I i'm 99 percent sure that it's like oh this is god like kind of just popping around doing whatever he wants but if it's yeah. not i guess maybe because at this point everybody's memories have been wiped seemingly yes. like So, so he's like, Adam's changed reality to put people in places that they were or down paths that they were going down, like, um, Pulsiver and Anathema are together and they're like getting married and they're, so like things have changed, things have progressed, but also at the same time, things like are reverted back to the way they were like, uh, Xerophil's shop is back, but instead of having all of his ancient books, he has like a bunch of books that a little boy would come up with, but they're all like very valuable. Uh, he like looked them up and they're all very valuable. So it's like, what's the difference? Uh, but, yeah, I think it's gotta be God, right? yeah, I think so,
0: so uh when we catch up with uh uh newt and anathema, uh we also see that uh anathema I guess has been very lost without having these prophecies to follow um and then this this mr Baticum uh if I'm saying that correctly uh he's like a messenger comes and he's had this thing that he's that's been passed along through the generations that he's supposed to deliver to her at this exact moment, uh, newt is actually the guy who opens the door and he sees this all coming. he's like, Oh, I know what this is going to be. So instead of him, he's like thinking about the explosion of Agnes Nutter. And so he's like, he like hides in the other room and he has the other guy, the messenger guy open it up. He's like, yeah, you go ahead and open it for me and see what's in there. He opens it up and he reads something and then just runs out, uh, like, like terrified. And, um, it's because it says something about, um, essentially Agnes Nutter knew that he was going to be the one to open it. And so it's direct, it's it's a address to him for opening it. And, um, do you remember what it said that scared him so badly yeah
1: it's it's basically like fuck you for opening this letter i like i know that you're sleeping with you're having an affair and like i'll make sure that they find they find out if you if you don't put this letter down and what's great about it is that like there's there's a letter i think it's a letter within a letter within a letter within a letter and so over the over the generations that this has been protected by this seemingly like some sort of bank company or something like that it's like hundreds of years um each there's been like multiple envelopes that are like sitting there in the box that each each envelope was addressed to another person who was so tempted by the box that they opened it and opened the, <laughs> the envelope and read what was on it and it was basically like something to the effect of you're having an affair i know something yeah, about some you some sort of dark secret no yeah yeah
0: yeah it's really really funny um so but eventually the, it comes out there's another giant manuscript here and it's the it's the prophecies of like what happens next leading up to potentially the next apocalypse and uh yeah, it seems like Anathema sort of decides not to read it um, because of the the power it has and like controls her life if she were to read it, um, and that's where we le- we leave them. They seem to be happy together. Uh, also, Shadwell and Madame Tracy uh, hook up and and are gonna go go live in a uh, what was the word bungalow a bungalow yeah and they, they and and Shadwell suggests they name it Shangri La. Yeah, so I guess the last thing really is this Adam stuff. So Adam has sort of fixed the world. He said everything right. And he's been grounded here. And he's um, with Dog, who is still his like loyal, loyal pet. And then he, the the them show up over this hedge, they look in, and they, they're like asking him to come see a circus or something. And he's like, no, I can't, I can't go. You know, I, I'm, I'm stuck here forever. And they're like, well, what about tomorrow? And he's like, yeah, try me tomorrow, <laughs> uh, which I thought was funny. He's like, maybe we'll forget about it by then. Um, so then they leave, I guess, to go see the circus. But then he decides he's going to he's going to get out and he, and, he, and he uses his powers to like create a hole in the in the hedge. And then once he goes through the hedge, um, he goes along and He ends up coming upon, I think, some apple trees. He climbs up in an, into an apple tree and he starts stealing apples, which I, I think has that clear biblical symbolism. Right. And he thinks he thinks to himself like, you know, there's that the, 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 there's these apples are always so good that they're worth whatever punishment comes to you for taking them sort of likening uh you know the original adam and eve's temptation right which i think comes back to him being named adam and and why maybe it all comes full circle here
1: yeah the part about the future is really interesting and and it's a good little read there i like that it was it's just basically talking about imagining what the future might hold and if we wanted to give us the last couple lines and if you want to imagine the future imagine a boot no imagine a sneaker laces trailing kicking a pebble imagine a stick to poke at interesting things and throw for a dog that may or may not decide to retrieve it imagine a tuneless whistle pounding some luckless popular song into insensibility imagine a figure half angel half devil all human slouching hopefully towards tadfield forever
0: yeah so we do know that he absolutely loves tadfield and to me this is just a very human in the endless summer and the and the all these like human childhood uh images and um yeah, it's just a future of humanity. I think is is what I'm getting from that at the end. What do you think? Right. Yeah.
1: No. I yeah. I definitely agree with you. I think that that's exactly what it is. This like hopeful child looking forward to the future and like the what humanity is and why it's important and why our free will is is you know a beautiful thing and it's creating every day and and whether it's you know like you're saying like throwing a stick for a dog and seeing what that dog will decide to do if it will or won't pick it up. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, it's all free will. It's all choice there. Um, the line that I did want to talk about that has some similarities with the Bible stuff is this line here. It's and there there never was an apple in Adam's opinion opinion that wasn't worth the trouble you got into for eating it, which you basically talked about. Um, yeah, there just the idea that that that's the that's the impetus. That's the start of all of this. Right. It's right. the the taking the risk. Well, and They kept and
0: coming it, back to saying, like, why would he have made it so tasty and so re- easy to get to God being the he? If he didn't
1: actually mean for someone to take it, and how much less interesting life would be if he hadn't like right. you know we're stuck in a we're in a garden where everything's perfect, but perfect isn't necessarily you know things that are sloppy and messy are sometimes also beautiful and and worth living and seeing and and going through, yeah so and maybe that was maybe that's all part of his design, like he wanted us to take
0: the apple, he wanted us to have sin and to have you know original sin and to have uh be flawed and to, to to have to struggle and and everything else like maybe this is all part of his plan so it is kind of an interesting alternate idea like view of what could be sort of that that uh christianity and and you know biblical view of things um but still within some of the same same framework um so it, you know it's, it's 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 a clever it's a clever here, uh, twist here at the end and or I don't know if it's a twist but clever uh bit of writing here at the end that makes you think, um, and I like that and, and, um uh, hey man, I just really enjoyed reading this novel. It was a lot of fun and, um, I was connected with it emotionally. Um, you know, I, I thought there was a lot of really badass moments, with the four horsemen and some of these other demons and stuff and, and, uh, all the the cool powers they had. Um, was there,
1: what was your takeaway from the novel as on a whole, I guess? I, I was just blown away by how genuinely funny it was and how, it would seem so timely, and I said that in the last episode. But it's just, it just—it just is so. And I also said in the last episode, it's—it's it's like timeless because of that. Because you can you can put it on whatever era and whatever time period you're going through, and it's going to mean something. Just because the that idea of like struggling, good versus evil, or or different ideologies and and opposing forces and and things like that, just just coming together or or what is it all for and kind of making you think about like what it actually means to be a part of humanity and and you know all of these all of these dumb things we spend our time <laughs> worried about and and wasting time with yeah i like that man absolutely amazing book I'm, i'll am i be revisiting it again i i think i would stand by my statement it's one of my favorites that we've ever read for the podcast cool. as far as new new content goes
0: i think i'm gonna withhold i, I want to wait because that's something we do We always do that with the last looks. We talk about like stuff we read this year. Um, I also know we have our hundredth episode coming up here in about, I guess, about nine episodes or so from now. Um, So I think we might do some retrospective stuff then. So maybe I'll hold it till then. But yeah, I'm going to think about it and I'm going to think about like all the stuff we've read so far Um, and, and maybe think about what my top five books are or something that could be fun to talk about. I don't know.
1: Yeah, that'd be cool. So there are a couple other things that I wanted to touch on here, and mm-hmm. one of them being this this other book that get that gets delivered kind of feels like it's building into a sequel, and oh, yeah. there might be you know there's there's something there potentially. So I looked into it a little bit, and there was there may or may not have been plans for a sequel novel. There I think they even had a title for it, um, but I, th- it was said that when Gaiman moved to the U.S., it it just like w- Terry Pratchett felt that that kind of like ended any chances of a, of a sequel novel. Right. Um, and then, you know, obviously the tragic death of, of Terry would kind of stop that from happening, I would think, unless yeah. Gaiman wanted to do it on his own and they had some sort of, no, I don't, or something. I don't think he would ever do that.
0: Um, no. but then do, doing this, the series I think is, is something that, that, um, Neil has said, uh, he, he didn't know what ever happened. And the fact that it is actually happening now, I think, is is a testament. And that's that goes back to
1: that interview that I. I oh, by the way, I did you what? Did you listen to that interview? Did you watch that interview? Yeah, I did. I did. What did you think of it? I loved it. I mean, I, it made me love the guy so much more, Neil Gaiman. Like, I just right. feel like I know him as a person. He, I mean, it's incredible. I was enthralled listening to him talk about pens like yeah. ink, ink pens for like 30 20 minutes or something. such a like, classic
0: would... like romantic kind of writer like the f- idea that he's got these like leather bound journals that he's writing in longhand long hand and this mm-hmm. equal pens and all this stuff it like, gets you know i love it i mean i'm totally not that like i if i were to try and write a page with that kind of pen like i wouldn't be it would be unusable because it'd be uh, uh, illegible so it just would never yeah. happen
1: but it's cool I, I love that there's somebody out there doing that i love it too yeah it, it kind of made me want to invest or look into just getting one of these pens and and you know using it for whatever i want to use it for but it's just yeah. like I was, your I, I was fascinated it's not good but it's not it's not <laughs> like i mean i wouldn't want to show it to anybody but just for myself to have fun yeah, it's i think it's like go. part of the this creative as long as you can read it my problem is i can't read mine so that's real bad
0: uh, yeah yeah, I know he, you mean, and
1: man. he's he's fascinating hearing him talk about Terry and Good Omens and and everything was I mean it was it was heart, heartwarming and breaking because uh just just he had so much respect for Terry and and yeah I think that he really 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 is is uh happy that he decided to to take on three books at once in order mm-hmm. to work with Terry because it was it mean you can tell how much it means to him. Yeah.
0: Speaking of uh that just real quick as an aside, after listening to that interview, I immediately bought uh the audiobook for the graveyard book nice uh, because i was like this sounds amazing like the idea of a kid being raised in a graveyard and like learning things from the dead just sounded so cool to me written by neil yeah. gaiman i was like i'm so sold on this book so i want to get awesome.
1: it. I read i, I want to read everything he's ever written like <laughs> i want to read everything terry pratchett has ever, i'm serious like i I, yeah. I will be reading i haven't read any Discworld novels, novels
0: which is going to be shocking to people listening to this probably um but i want to i mean now especially after this it's so funny like I, I i'm into it yeah
1: yeah i'm totally on board i love both of these people
0: so we touched on it earlier that there was this last little bit where each of the two talk about the other in like a section and i just thought it was really cool because it's like the idea of and, and you could it showed the mutual respect they had for each other and and to have uh you know neil gaiman talking about terry pratchett and how he you know that was that line of him you know saying that he was so much more prolific than douglas adams and he's and he's didn't like that he felt like he didn't get a lot of respect for being kind of a humorist and a satirist because people tend to think that means it's not important um which was unfair and uh you could that really came across and then terry terry pratchett's talking about neil gaiman and the clear respect he had for him and and sort of um, his brilliance and being able to do comics and novels and screenplays and all this stuff, right? And it, I just thought it was really neat to have that at the end of the book and to see the respect these two had for each other.
1: Yeah. And I mean, we're going to see Neil Gaiman's screenwriting prowess here soon. He wrote a yeah. lot of this, this show and, and, you know, he's, he's the showrunner and I think it's going to be Hopefully really it's fascinating.
0: Great. I, I really hope it's good.
1: I hope it's, yeah, I hope it's, incredible you know I'm, i am i would if this lives up to the source material it could be yeah. one of the best shows of the year so i'm really looking forward to it
0: yeah i mean i don't want to I, I do worry that we're setting our expectations so high that it's gonna it's gonna be a letdown but I, you know it's it's i i'm i'm susceptible to hype i get hyped for things so i i can't help but get hyped for it
1: yeah the cast and the creative force behind it neil gaiman is like i'm sold and like it's gotta at least be fun it looks like yeah, it's gonna it's be it's gotta fun at time. least be fun Uh, so we
0: shall see how it goes. Um, I I do want to talk a little bit about like predictions we might have for the show, but I think that'd be cool to save them maybe for the very end.
1: Yeah, let's save it till the end. So this week we wanted to thank one of our patrons, Kyle B. He's been a patron for a very long time now. Uh, we appreciate that support. And if you wanted to support this podcast as well, keep it going, um, you know, help us move it into the future. It's going to be patreon.com forward slash ink to film.
0: Yeah, we have lots of bonus content on there, including our 13th bonus episode we just released which is us talking about the final season of game of thrones um and sort of uh i don't know just commiserating over some of the things that we were unhappy with so if you were at all unhappy with uh, the final season of game of thrones and, you, and you're interested in that we'd love to have you come check it out
1: connect with us on social media we're on facebook twitter and instagram all of those at ink to film and join our council of inklings on on facebook which is where we post polls and information about upcoming adaptations and It's a pretty fun time, so go check it out. Absolutely, and uh, make sure to
0: enter into that giveaway. This is going to be your last chance you have until the end of the week, essentially, Saturday morning, I'll be announcing. Find those posts, enter to win, you can get a copy of this book. And you can enter like three times, so I would recommend entering as many times as possible. Once on Instagram, once on Twitter, once on Facebook, yeah. And another way to help the show out that doesn't cost you anything is to leave us a rating and review on iTunes or wherever else you found this podcast. That's super helpful. Helps us get the word out. So please leave us one. We haven't gotten a new one in a little while and I'm starting to feel unloved.
1: (laughs) Thank you to Jennifer DeLazana for providing our transcripts. And thank you to Music Lover for the use of our intro and outro music.
0: All right, man. So I just wanted to talk a little bit, make some predictions, maybe talk about some things we really want to see. Uh,
1: things we think we might, they might change anything like that real quick here at the end. I I just think that with it being Neil Gaiman, things are going to be changed for an adaptation. Obviously, you know, there's, there's, I think there's moments that the book takes its time to set up jokes, which I really enjoyed about it. I thought it was like, uh, like those fun payoffs when like really funny jokes are built up over time. I think that like there may be some of that in the show. It might be a little harder to keep people engaged in a joke for them for that long. But I think that it's, it's going to be a funny show. I think it's going to be fun. I think it's going to be overall just interesting. Like, I, I just... The cast is David Tennant, Michael Sheen. Sheen, yeah. And, I mean, John Hamm, Nick Offerman. I was, the cast is insane. It's, it's yeah. absolutely, like, an embarrassment of riches. So, I... I okay, so as far as uh, predictions, though, I mean, I think okay. it's going to be very, very faithful. I mean, we've seen in the trailer, if you don't want to know what I'm about to say, tune out right now. But yeah. in the trailer, we see, like... We see Crowley coming out of the, the burning bookstore. We see the Satan coming out of the ground. We see all kinds it's of... It's like, a little different, dog. unless that's Beelzebub, perhaps. Right. Uh, we see the, the dog. We see... I, I think it's going to be very faithful. I don't know how much we're going to get of... The only thing that I don't know how much we're going to get of is like Shadwell and the witch hunting order. I think that that's some of the stuff that... like If you were going to cut something, cut it I know down, Anathema and Newt are both in it, for sure. They're not really in much in the preview, but they are in it. I think still have having them, they'll still be there. I just think that like reducing the amount of time that it is spent. on I think it's going to be more Crowley and uh, Azaraphale focused.
0: Okay, so that was going to be my prediction. I think uh, looking at how adaptations go and what we've learned from doing this podcast, right, I think some of the scenes and some of the humor that worked really well in the book aren't going to translate as well to the screen and they're going to know that. So they're going to change some of them. Um, Also some stuff that maybe hasn't aged as well. Every now and then there was a joke that it felt like a little bit off for modern sensibilities. I don't think we're going to get those. I think they're going to change those and update those. Um, And then I think, actually, I I suspect some of these storylines are going to be bigger because I was thinking about it and this book feels fast. It feels like we don't get, we don't spend a lot of time with any one character. And I kind of think we're going to spend more time with not only um, Aziraphale and and Crowley, but also Anathema and Newt. And I think we're going to spend more time with Adam and them. Um, I think all of those characters are going to get more time. And because we're going to get more time, we're going to get more scenes. We're going to get some new jokes. We're going to get some new some new stuff. And I'm excited for that, too, because that's the kind of thing that like really plays into the book readers, because like if you're coming to it like I've already read this book. Why do I care? It's because you're going to get more. I think you're going to get more and different. And I think it's going to be enjoyable for that reason. I hope so. That's what I'm looking for.
1: I think that he will probably update things and change things for the modern audience and the people who've read the books. That's always like a fun little thing. It's just how much will they change and will people respond well to them? Question. Do you think that we see aliens?
0: Yes, Uh, only because I've seen it in the trailer.
1: Oh really? I, maybe I tra- it, there was a there was a
0: trailer that showed the UFO coming down. <laughs> oh, funny. I, maybe I just missed that. Yeah. Um, <laughs> also, so the Four w- Horsemen of the Apocalypse. I'm very excited to see. That's the other one. I, I really, I really hope they're badasses. And uh, all in we it.
1: saw in the trailer was just them on the motorcycles, right?
0: Yeah, not much, right? But cool. I'm excited to see more of them and their interactions with each other.
1: Yeah. What I'm really hoping for is some some surprising faces under those helmets. You know, like how much fun yeah. can they have with the fact that like they're gonna bring some surprising actors to those roles i haven't i don't know who who the fourth horsemen are played by actor wise but i'm i'm probably not going to look it up just so i can be surprised when they flip those visors up
0: yeah we'll see man uh okay i think that's a good place to leave it it's been a lot of fun covering this book i'm very excited for the show we hope you return for our coverage we're going to be doing the first three episodes uh next week and then we're going to be doing the final three episodes the following week because they're dropping all of them at the same time uh coming up soon So yeah, very excited for that. Hope you join us. But until then,
1: thanks for listening.